Welcome to RSN's Racing Pulse. But Skirt the Law is in front, and Skirt the Law's all too good. Skirt the Law's one by length of the half second. Rocket Horse, Rocket Horse has won it. Alligator Blood holding on. The Alligator win. Saki holding on. Saki back to back. Saki wins it. On the outside, Facet Legend. Later's Yellow Brick. The inside, Facet Legend. Yellow Brick. Facet Legend's won from Yellow Brick. Gold Trip is going to win the Lexus Melbourne Cup. Gold Trip wins it. For the next three hours, the breaking racing news, the stories, opinion, the mail, and the people who make racing happen. Here's Michael Felgate. Good morning and welcome to Racing Pulse on this Monday, the 30th of January, after another fabulous weekend of racing, both here in Australia and especially overseas. Those who were watching Hong Kong uh, last night were absolutely enthralled by all of the action, and that's where we'll kick off this morning's Racing Pulse and the verdict discussion. We'll also cover Mooney Valley, a couple of emotional wins at the Valley. Great to see Jigsaw take that next step. Is Jigsaw now a genuine Group 1 quality sprinter and what the future holds for him. We'll talk about that as well. In Sydney, did the two-year-old Golden Slipper pitcher become a little clearer or is it even more clouded after a couple of special performances by the two-year-olds? And we'll talk a number of issues and one that continues to bubble along is what the Spring Carnival will look like. And Matty Stewart had a great chat on Saturday morning on Cracking the Codes with James Cummings who was intriguing in what he had to say about a recent meeting of the minds, the powerful trainers coming together with Andrew Jones and Matty Welsh as well. Speaking of a meeting of the minds, that's who we have gathered for this morning's edition of The Verdict. Yes, Matty Stewart is here as always. Hello, Matthew. How are you? Morning, Miguel. Very well. Yeah, no, I was glued to the uh, couch and the TV. Well, I'm always glued to the couch, but <laughs> the uh, what entertained me whilst glued yesterday was certainly... Uh, God, Jamie Carr almost superseded the, the three-way clash. Like mm. Her performance was amazing. And then the lingering questions of, well, could she be enticed over there? Who knows? But um, the the, mat, the three-way match race delivered everything. And I'm looking forward to seeing Animo leave his bubble, Golden 60 leave his bubble, and then hopefully meet up somewhere neutral. Uh, who knows? So, so you think the bubble boys will meet? Both bubble boys could meet at some point. Yeah. Sure. Uh, I'd love to see it in the Queen Anne. Um, they're talking about either Dubai or Japan for the Golden 60, but Abel Friend dipped mm. his toe in the um, Royal Ascot uh, pond uh, unsuccessfully, but I'd, you know, I think we can fantasise. Nigel Carmody's a fantasizer. He could fantasize about this. Nick Sharkey is uh, underwater with the rest of the uh, uh, Australian bloodstock industry in Caracas. He'll, he'll drop a line in over there. Well, yeah, there's no doubt. Uh, we brought in the Brains Trust. Uh, Nigel Carmody joins us from Racing.com. Great to have you, Nigel. Hello, Michael. Hello, Matt. Good morning to all our listeners. Uh, you're like the angry clown at a kid's birthday party, just <laughs> popping bubbles, Matt Stewart. <laughs> well, I just think it gives them a chance to really prove themselves if... Uh, I know it's been spoken about regional options like you know Japan and maybe as far as Dubai, but uh, I'd love to see, while they're still fueling the tank with Golden 60, like his tank's not running on empty, but it's certainly, the light's not flashing either, but he's, he's getting more nearer the end than the start, and Animo's halfway through his career, I suppose, in a, in a you know, uh, maturity sense, but 
Yeah, I just I'd love to see what's next for both of them. Yeah, you know, we I, James Cummings. You mentioned we had a grab about something else about Mini Valley, but um, yeah, very excited about accompanying Animo. So yeah. and it seems like that's now fait accompli. D- done deal done. Oh, you Sydney, happy to see that wrapped? Yeah, and that's I think uh, it's often something I've smiled and laughed at it when you hear Maddie use that term from time to time, but. When our best are prepared to travel, whether it's successful or not, you just want to see them have a crack. So I think it's fantastic. And I think most of us are hoping this might be almost the So You Think repeat where Animo goes offshore and just proves himself on a global stage. Yeah, I, I agree. I I just think there's... we it, the, it wasn't frustrating for me with Winx because I kind of got it with Winx. Like the, what she achieved superseded any... Oh, dear, I wish you'd gone to Royal Ascot because... You know, she won four Cox plates. It's a fair compromise to not go. So, um, but uh, the very elegant bit of taste, I got a, a little bit of a bit of taste there as well. So, I don't think Animo's a champion, but I think he's a very good horse and he's one worthy of having a crack. But very elegant refers to your point about a horse going when they're at the peak of their yep. powers. And yeah. yeah. It's easy in hindsight, but she clearly wasn't. No, exactly. Speaking of those superstars, it's a busy morning as well. We've got Nature Strip and Zaki in the first trial which we're looking forward to we'll dip into that and uh, there's a number of stars as well jumping out of Cranbourne and also so look this autumn carnival is really upon us now and that'll be part of the debate we'll have a little later when we speak about James Cummings comments about what the spring carnival may look like and speaking of international travellers will we see more of Jamie Carr traveling uh, overseas because we'll talk about Golden 60 and the three-way clash in a moment. But from an Aussie perspective, this was the performance in Hong Kong when Jamie Carr became the first female rider to win a feature race in Hong Kong on Voyage Bubble. Voyage Bubble, though, clicked up, leads a length and a half. Keefe under pressure. Tuchel comes through the centre, packing Treadmill wider out from Sword Point. Voyage Bubble, Tuchel's a length and a half away from packing Treadmill. Voyage Bubble's running it strongly. Tuchel can't get him, then packing Treadmill. It's Voyage Bubble and Jamie Carr for the Classic Mile. Voyage Bubble beat Tuchel. It's speechless, really. <laughs> it's a massive thrill. Um, unbelievable. Like, he's a tough horse. It's a long straight, though, and I was sort of waiting for something just to come past me but he was just too strong and yeah a bit speechless really yeah it's just another tick on the resume which is becoming remarkable Nige isn't it she's now got that record under her belt she outrode them it was a double on the night they would throw the kitchen sink to have Jamie Carr as a permanent jockey over there. Do you think there's any chance? Oh, there's always a chance, and particularly with how lucrative it is for riders to go over there. And I suppose it's whether you want to take on the lifestyle of riding, you know, three meetings in a seven-day span on a typical week. But as we know, Jamie's been so transparent in terms of her love of her property down on the Mornington Peninsula and that lifestyle. And I think we're seeing this a little bit more about the fly-in, fly-out riders. She rode in the feature Saturday afternoon at the Valley in the Australia Stakes at 4.20pm and 28 hours later last night, she's winning a Group 1 in Hong Kong. It is doable and she's on a flight back to Victoria mm. this morning or land sometime around lunchtime. So I think you can have your cake and eat it too these days, it seems. And J-Max doing mm. the same thing. He rode a winner on the, it's on easy the card the last night. the end of the plane. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you're well, not upright. Yeah, they're turning left. Yeah, 66D <laughs> might make it hard. They're doing a lefty. There's no doubt about that. I think what might supersede all the reasons not to go, like the farm and the lifestyle here and all that sort of stuff, well, she she made that decision to move from Adelaide, Victoria. So she's already sort of made that sort of left something behind sort of sacrifice. 
I think the reason why she, she may consider it might be her legacy is, okay, I'm this big now. Am I going to be remembered as one of the all-time... You know, how high can I go in my career? I'm, Do you think that drives her? I think so. I think that's what will drive her now is I'm now believing in myself. I'm now believing that I am every bit as good as they're saying. I'm as good as Hugh Bowman. I'm as good as Zach Purton. Zach Purton's on the way out in Hong Kong. The landscape there is different. She might think, if I do three years in Hong Kong and conquer Hong Kong, they may be talking... I'm not saying she would necessarily describe it this way, but she would now be so confident in her abilities and what she can do that there's no glass ceiling and there's nothing that can stop her doing whatever she's going to have the same ambitions as all the all the champion male jockeys she's going to be thinking about royal ascot she's going to be thinking about contracts and the mark zara scenario so if she's now more about her career and her legacy than about ponies on a farm and things like that that she can come back to then i I think she. it's the lifestyle over there though Nige, i think it, it would be a balance for, the, it's not for everyone no i, no. I don't think you know, she is such a. It's about the horse rather than the actual race riding. She and that's why she's such a good jockey. She's such a good horsewoman, and I think the love of the horse. We see it in all the social media posts and everything like that. For her to have lose that contact outside of track work and race day riding, I can't envisage that. But she'd lose it for a short period of her life, well, not a few for, years. Yeah, but but I think I think the. The superstar factor is probably the the main factor now, rather than the. I'm not saying she walks around going, "I'm a superstar," but uh, I don't know. She's others have blazed a trail that she's now can jump onto as well. So the, the Bowman's had a farm, the McAvoy's have got a farm and ponies and Centennial. It's not. She can go riding ponies in in mainland China if she wants to. So, yeah, and it's interesting. <laughs> I've never done enticing that. when you put it that yeah, way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to check out the pony rides in, in mainland well, there'd, China. Well, there'd be that opportunity would be there for her. So, all right. So you're a yes. She goes. No, I'm a. Wouldn't be totally shocked if she goes. Nigel, not in the short term. I think there's too much to do still in Australia. Too many mountains to climb and big races to win. Uh, mm. Please, best in the world, Blue Eyes. Jay makes a better jockey every day of the week, so she's not even in the best best in Australia. I think I said in the lead in that she is now in the best of the world, not the best. She'd be in the conversation for me of the top three jockeys in the world, Jamie Carr. Yeah, I, I nearly agree. I think she brings something to the table that even the best blokes don't, that X factor that it's hard to work out. I was talking to Tony McAvoy when we were down on King Island about how the stuff she brings to the table is just different. You know, uh, she doesn't throw the kitchen sink at them and flog them, but no one does these days. So it's a, an environment where a, 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 someone like her can be compared to with any. Yeah, I, 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 I wouldn't disargue that she's not the, among the best in the world for sure. Well, that style was evident in the classic mile last night in mm. terms of how she mm. charted a path to victory. Mm. James McDonald riding a winner for Jamie Richards last night. I think the interesting part is Jamie Carr was on a 20 to 1 shot. James McDonald wins on a horse at a similar or even bigger price if you're able to shop around. They do have a good capacity to go up there and improve horses significantly at a price. I was thinking that there was a trifecta where it was Bowman, Carr, McDonald. I think there was a trifecta in one of those races last night, and I thought, you know, all this they always rave on in Hong Kong about it's the epicentre of the world's great jockeys. I reckon that's a total myth these days. I think you look at how thin the list is under the top three or four names in Hong Kong compared to the Sydney ranks or the Melbourne ranks. I... Well, Luke Curry ran second behind yeah. Jamie Carr. And taking nothing away from Karis Teton's ride on Romantic Warrior, who was 2,000 back to the mile last night, and, and the performances of Golden 60 in California Spangle, but there was just a little bit of me 
post-race thinking, oh, James McDonald on Romantic Warrior, would we have seen a slightly different result? Not sure. Would he have... Yeah, on that, would, I was just thinking with Romantic Warrior, would James McDonald have just tucked back a beat and saved a bit? I, yeah, yeah, I felt well, that way. Well, let's relive the closing stages and then we're going to discuss whether, what the future is for Golden 60, as you alluded to. And, and is this, as Matty Stewart says, the best race that's ever been run in Hong Kong? California Spengel leads. Golden 60's off his heels. Romantic Warrior can't go with them. Golden 60's taken over now. He's a length in front of California Spengel and Romantic Warrior and Hong Kong's horse of a generation wins the race of the decade. Golden 60 has beaten either the Romantic Warrior or California Spengel. I'm just very happy for Golden 60 and uh, you know and the team did a great work after last race and to come back uh, to his you know optimum fitness uh, wasn't as his, his best uh, it felt it felt better than at the last gallop and uh, he, he still performed very well on race day and um, yeah very happy for him so that was vincent ho who was talking post-race he also went on to say that uh, they're looking at going to the Dubai turf over 1,800 metres and then possibly even getting to Japan, the Yusita Kinen, uh, which is on June 4 over the mile as well. I don't know how you can how you can take anything away from Golden 60. It was a, a reasonably slowly run race. They dictated in front California Spangle and he had the sprint. He was able to be too strong on the line. Now... Romantic Warrior is better over 2,000. It may be a different story over 2,000, but I, I don't think there's any excuses for any of the beaten brigade. And he's now won $23 million Australian, $129 million in Hong Kong. That's his 23rd win. He's the best horse Hong Kong's ever had, isn't he, Nigel? Silent Witness? I think his record is better than Silent Witness, isn't it? Well, it probably remains to be seen about now... The, the question and the, the answer is going to be in going offshore and getting it done there because we haven't seen a lot of Hong Kong horses mm. go offshore and compete and be successful. Did Solid Witness win in Japan, the sprint? And then he came back and they pushed him over more ground. So the, 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 a few over the years, I remember doing a yarn on it not that long ago around the time of the international races and... There's been a few. The few went to Dubai back in the day and so on, but none has gone onto a gigantic stage like Royal Ascot against Godolphin and Coolmore's Best and all that sort of stuff. So I, I agree with Nigel. I think that's the point about these bubble Hong Kong champions is the only way you're really going to know is if they get outside of it. Because, look, I think they're all really, really good horses, there's no doubt, but they're all bubble horses, the first, second and third. And the laws of indices went over there in... December in the mall and well. got extremely close to them, which made me wonder a little bit about the the strength of the form because laws of indices, you know, um, he's Animo probably would have handled laws of indices easier than that than, than they did. There's a very good text that just come through and said, "What about Fairy King Prawn?" Well, you had the Fairy King Prawn reference with Sunlight, so there is that reference that we don't have with Golden 60. But I think from Stat's perspective, there's no greater Hong Kong horse. And to fully, I guess, close off this conversation, that's always been the race for me when people go, what's the best race yes. we've ever seen mm. in Hong Kong? Sunline Fairy King Prawn in the mile was always the one that stood out. And maybe it had a little bit to do with David Raphael. I reckon he absolutely nailed the he call did. that time. But hey, Mark last McNamara. night was difference because we had the three rather yeah. than just the one versus the yeah, other. Yeah. And I thought Mark McNamara's call was great. Brilliant. Yep. Really well done. And Fairy so King Prawn and Sunline both then went to Dubai. Are you standing strong in your assertion? 
that's yeah. the greatest well, Hong Kong I, race I, we've seen. I, I'm not going to be nailed to the cross with it, but <laughs> I, um, but but then Ferry King Prawn and and Sunline went to Dubai into the duty free and both ran enormous. Yep. I think they ran second and fourth, and Sunline got gang tackled by a string of Godolphin horses in the race and beat them all off, and then so they kind of proved the form to me in 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 a different jurisdiction. So so. Next time they meet, maybe over 2,000, are you with Romantic Warrior or Golden 60? Romantic Warrior will beat him at 2,000, no doubt. Will he get to the 2,000? See, so, yeah, Golden 60 probably won't. No. no. I've always wondered why not. I've always thought he looked like a, a horse that had run a good 2,000, but anyway. Oh, maybe he has, I don't know. But I, he's certainly known as a miler, isn't he? So. Well, it was certainly brilliant watching last night and we're going to look forward to Jamie Carr returning to Ride Voyage Bubble. I think the second leg of that four-year-old uh, classic series is the Hong Kong Classic Cup. That's over 1,800, but then there's some talk whether they'll be able to stretch him out to the derby. So she goes back to ride, I think that's Feb 26, and then question mark about the derby for Voyage Bubble. But we're going to certainly see a lot more of Jamie Carr in Hong Kong fly in, fly out. I think that'll be the case. Uh, Hugh Bowman, he's now going to be permanent over there. He's applied for that permanent jockey spot, and I can see why he'd want to. Uh, we spoke to him, I think it was Melbourne Spring Carnival. He said at this stage in his career and the children's age, he said it's great to go there, set himself up, and he's hit the ground running over there. He's got a great strike rate. See, back to the car, Bowman, you know, why would you go there? Like, I think the reasons for Jamie Carr are probably strong. Hugh Bowman's got young kids. He's taken them out of school. They are not used to living in, in such tight con- confines as they are. Um, Jamie Carr's a... Uh, she, has not a, she hasn't got kids and all that sort of stuff. So if the Bowmans can adapt, then it makes me think that anyone can adapt to it. So I think the motive... This is what I really want to see, Nige, is is if Zach Purton continues on, I want Bowman to ride a whole... And I want him to... His motivation can be... You know, uh, my stars waned a bit because J-Mac came along and then Winx was in the rearview mirror. I want to reprove to everyone how good I am and I want to knock off Purton. I reckon that would be an amazing motivation for uh, for Hugh Bowman if Purton rides on after this season. Well, he can clearly fill the breach of Marrera and, and yep. make the Jockeys Premiership there a contest. So I guess in Hugh Bowman's case, there'd be a motivation too for he is perhaps now able to sit here and go, I've pretty much ticked everything he can yeah. do in Australian racing. I can hit and run and come back and forth, yep. which he's alluded to, but surely physically and mentally from the, you flip the lifestyle conversation the other way, riding those three meetings in a seven day span, yep. good prize money, minimal travel. That's yep. got to be better for him from an athletic point of view and yep. lo- career longevity versus, yep. yeah, he could pick and choose what rides he wants to take, um, you know, day to day in New South Wales, but it's got to be a lot simpler doing it over there. Hey, Matty, don't forget uh, Brisbane Olympics, uh, 2032 and SMS. That's what Jamie Carr's mm. going to be looking at. 2032. That's a, what is it? 2032. Yeah, it's a hell of a long way down the track. <laughs> well, it is, but it isn't. If you're trying to get a, an equestrian horse trained up and ready to go for that Olympic standard, you've got to go through all your qualifying as well. So, uh, speaking mm. of a long way down the track, um, we'll talk a little later about an 82-year-old who drove a winner at Melton on Saturday night. There's hope for you yet, Matty. You can still reach your peak. Uh, later in life. Uh, we'll take a quick break on the other side of this more to come, not far away from Nature Strip, Zaki's Troll. Don't forget, keep the SMSs coming through. Zero four, uh, what is it now? Zero four one six ninety fifty fifty two. The best text of the morning will win a round of golf at Devil Bay. Nature Strip, doing it well on the home turn, about 300 metres left to go. Riadini is on the outside. September run, Zaki is four wide and back to the inner fire burn is uh, just tucked in behind them, but it's Nature Strip held together really well by Kieran McAvoy. Uh, uh, Kieran McAvoy and Nature Strip is way too good. 
Nature Trip first. Fireburn got up for second from Rio Zaki September run. And then a wall of them, four of them, in fact, all jammed together. Hope in your heart, Durston, Private Eye. And wow, the big beast is back, as he does. Uh, head on the chest, uh, Karen uh, McAvoy, <laughs> it was. Just uh, not even letting go of the brakes. And that's what we expect from Nature Trip when he trials. I thought Zaki, um, not much work there. Brett Preble in the saddle. Um, worked home nicely and Fireburn, the slipper winner, finished off very nicely up on the rails as well. It's a pretty hot trial. Manny, I know you take a lot of um, news and emphasis uh, out of these Well, one trials, of them didn't but... fall over, so there's your news. Um, <laughs> First up in the lightning for Nature's, it's well, going to be good to see him coming back. Well, I reckon the two big questions now are, will Nature Strip and Zaki ever win another Group 1 race, each of them? Wow. Well, Nature Strip's... Chances are running out. Just, you There's drop pro- off quick. No, no. I'm just. I'm not saying whether they will or not. But I think the big challenge for both of them is to, at this stage of Nature Strip's career and his life after the Royal Ascot thing, and then he struggled to really recapture it. I think he won one race, but is there another Group One in Nature Strip? And if there is, what is it? And is Zaki? Because so, I think Zaki's. A, were, you, were you not impressed with Zaki's last run uh, when he won the Champions Stakes? Yeah, but. I just think he there's there's got to be some sense of a new generation coming through. I don't know what they are, who? but it always happens. I was going to say, no, no, but but there's always something that comes along at this stage of those horses' careers. And Zaki's a constant feature in those races without being a dominant horse these days. So. Can we have a bet? Can we have one of these mythical bottles of red wine that you have? Well, you owe me one from. I think they will both win another Group One. Nigel, what do you say? Zaki may not win a Group One, but he might win another All Star Mile. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. See, that's the thing. So you gotcha. Yeah, it'll be a brain. <laughs> um, but that's the thing. I mean, he, Sorry for he's, that he's, to him, his first target is is an all star mile, not a group one. So yeah, then, he, no, that's got an asterisk next to it. Is he? Is he? That's a bet. We'll see. We'll but nature strip. I mean, I think even Chris from. Waller and and the ownership group will be hoping that there's another group one in nature strip without expecting it, like they have previously. So well, they've already floated the idea that he's too old to head back to Royal Ascot. So it'll be a a. Um, a lot in stakes and then aim towards a TJ. He had a pretty monumental year when you think yeah. about it. What he did at Royal Ascot and he comes back and gets beaten yep. a pimple in a Dali Sprint Classic. He had a phenomenal year. Champions but he's Spencer. an old horse with a lot of... Every year he does it, the tread comes off the wheels. Yeah. So, you know. Been going a long, mm. long time and we ask so much of these champions and we just expect them to hold nah. this level forever. It's, it's parallel with the tennis discussion that's been going yeah. on overnight as well is... Very interesting. Age going to get them at some stage. It's got Roger. It's about to get Rafa. And Novak will, at some stage, hit a wall too. Well, in, in a racing sense, it, it's got Eduardo. It, that, that, it's caught up with Eduardo. And he was always the great while of, of... I'm not potting Nature Strip. I'm just saying, it's as every season comes around, it gets harder and harder. So I, whether he's capable of winning another one. So Nature Strip's a $2.85 a favourite for the Black Caviar Lightning. In Secret's not going there. It's second favourite at $6. Giga Kick, as we understand, is not going there. It's at $8. Is Marabi going there? She's been aimed towards an Oakley Plate. Maybe William Reed. I'm not sure if she's going to go there. Uh, and then you're at the Rock and Horse, Private Eye, who came through that jump out. Don't know about Private Eye over a thousand. Whether it's talk Private Eye. Strip. Joe Price said, I think on Saturday, New Market Fresh was yeah. the plan. Yeah. So I don't well, know might, what the opposition's going to yeah. be. Yeah, well, that might be a fact as well. So Kieran Mar will produce something that'll blow over the top of him, probably. So 
um, without a name yet. Who knows? But, uh, yeah. Uh, look, anyway, I'm just throwing it out there. I'm not saying he won't win another group one. I'm just saying it gets harder. All right. Matty Stewart, let's put that down in the uh, in the etch set in the book. Hey, we've got lots to talk about after the 9 o'clock news. We're going to go back and have a look at Mooney Valley. Well, could Jigsaw be a contender, whichever way they go? He has improved so much. And there was a lot of talk about maybe he can't run a strong 1,200. He knocked that on the head definitively on Saturday. Uh, Blake Shin rode the house down on the weekend. We saw Michelle Payne knock everyone out of their quaddies and big six in the last race as well. And I want to talk about Sydney, the two-year-old scene. That was fascinating watching those two-year-old races. King's Gambit getting rolled as a dollar forty. Gay Waterhouse, Adrian Bott again to the fore there. And we'll also talk a little later, as I mentioned, about the 82-year-old harness driver. And could we have seen a potential star yesterday, Matty, at Geelong in the Mitch Freeman camp? Attrition, could it be one of the left-field smokies for the Australian Guineas? We had the Durbridge in Adelaide as well. So there's plenty more to come. After the nine o'clock news, you're listening to The Verdict on Racing Pulse. On RSN's Racing Pulse, this is The Verdict. Back to The Verdict with Nigel Carmody, Matty Stewart. SMS us any comments you've got from the weekend. We want your input as always. Uh, 0416 90 50 52. Um, here we go. Here's a few. Uh, your racing editor uses the phrase, I wouldn't disargue. Did you say that? I don't yeah, know I did. That. And then did I realised it wasn't a word. So thanks, <laughs> Barry from Baldwin. Uh, hi, boys. Uh, <laughs> when might RV play some sort of catch up with Racing New South Wales regarding official trials versus jump outs? Uh, we're watching Nature Strip live on Sky at the official trials from Warwick Farm with Fields. Uh, jockeys, trainers, colours released publicly. Uh, we still have jump outs here where we've got to search for vision down the track and no idea who is riding them. Don in Ascot Vale. It's been a bane for a long time, Nigel. I know Racing.com has been working on um, simplifying the method for punters to find those jump outs, but it, it does need to come from head office that they need to be more structured. I think there's been a bit of a pushback from trainers because it costs more money to go into an official trial than what jump outs are, and they have to pay the jockeys as well more, don't they? Don't know about the payment structure, but I am 100% whatever we need to do to get these live and broadcast. We've got a free-to-air channel. We should be able to ex- um, expose, particularly on Monday. I think it's a great talking point where, as you said, we've been able to just sit here and watch a clutch of Group 1 horses bell around. It's not for everyone, and people hold you know different weight on these things. But just to give it exposure, it yeah. creates a, a talking point for the sport. It's better than looking at the walls. Well, so. this this morning at Cranbourne, we've got some really or good replays horses. of you know, yeah, Brett Preble Australian was very, Cups from twenty five years ago. Brett Preble was very vocal about it in a story. Um, Asian Racing Report or something did a story quoting Brett Preble last week about the frustration of uh, jockeys not getting paid for trials and jump outs here compared to there. So he was very adamant about about that. But well, this morning at Cranbourne, which um, I'm sure we'll see replays very soon, but we can't see them live. Is you've got the Melbourne Cup winner back in the first jump out. We've got Marabi, who we were talking about, non-conformist, passive-aggressive. She's all class. So these are these are the horses that are going to be the stars of the Autumn Carnival. We want to get the promotion out. We want to get the conversation out as much as possible. Best way to do it, television. Well, and it's for me, it's not as much about how they perform in the trials. It's just looking at good horses. It's, it's more about... a. Um, you know, having another look at Nature Strip under semi-race conditions and just seeing him in motion, it's not really about me judging who trolled the best, say, out of that trial we just saw. It's more about 
Um, oh, there he is, you know, the, the champ's there. So yeah, that may only that's, be a, a small yeah. snippet, but yeah. more content's not yeah. going to be detrimental. Yep. That's a yep. given. Absolutely. There's no doubt about that. Hey, um, we need to talk about Jigsaw. Um, Nigel, you were out there on Saturday night. It was a good feeling. It was great to see Cuz back there as well. And he would have been pretty happy with the ride on Jigsaw because I think it might have been one of the first 100 metres where he decided to make sure he held the inside and... You don't have Jigsaw, the feature race. That's a bit surprising. Anyway, imagine it in your mind, uh, how he raced away over the last 100 to win the Australia Stakes. Uh, I reckon he's a Group 1 horse now. He's not top-level Group 1, but he's a horse that could win a William Reid Go well in an Oakley Plate if they wanted to go there, Nigel. Yeah, so winning move, Daniel Moore, early on, that was... Pivotal, the horse has gone to an extraordinary level from where he was wintertime last year, burling around in a couple of sort of Saturday races. He looked all at sea and you perhaps thought this horse can end up on an online sale or going to a northern state or something like that. It was getting to that sort of level. You're like, where, where's this horse going to go from here? And the bounce back has been supreme, particularly from you know the Cranbourne Cup Day track record and and since 1,200 metre, a huge tick now. I hadn't even considered the William Reed as a, a race for this horse. And then Cindy obviously put it on the agenda yesterday, talking to, to Warren on correct weight. So that's a pretty sensible um, course to plot, perhaps, now that he's clearly shown a liking for the Valley and 1,200 metres and a firm surface. It might be a pretty hot Oakley plate too. So do they dodge around it and go via a Rubiton in a couple of weeks? Well, if you missed it, this is a snippet of what Cindy had to say yesterday on correct weight. He went there yesterday to see what I thought he could do around the valley. I, I thought he, he loved the rail, he loved the corner, and I thought a race like the William Reed is probably the ultimate um, aim for him now. But um, how we get there and whether we give him another run, um, he was only going to ever have one more run before the William Reed anyway, but whether it's the Oakley Plate or the Rubiton, I'm just not sure yet, and he'll tell me. It was a, a beautiful ride. We, we, you might have a chat to Daniel Moore tomorrow, Matty, but uh, that decision to press the button and go forward. There's been a lot of talk pre-race. Snapper, Jigsaw, would they cut at each other? Snapper's a quicker horse out of the gates. And he was a little um, tardy out, Jigsaw, but then he said, you know what, I've got this little gap. I'm going to push through. And we heard post-race, I think it was maybe your your chat with Cuz or, or Daniel Moore, he said, he's a railer. You've got to get to the fence. And that, in the end, I think, was the, the defining moment. Yeah, just love seeing riders be assertive and that's what Daniel Moore's prepared to do. And on cars, yeah, look, uh, I've got we're, – we're complete opposites, but we've become pretty close in the last 18 months through the work, and I have so much admiration for how he threw himself into the media. You see, I've seen it in my time broadcasting footy as well. You see experts come in, and they just want to simply rely on what they already know, and they're not perhaps prepared to do the work. He has put so much time and effort to his broadcasting craft, which I've really, really admired, and then – He's had a terrible time of it, obviously, physically with the injuries, with, first of all, the broken leg, which put him down the media path, and then the return, which he got on Jigsaw. He won on Jigsaw, which was really, really nice. But then, obviously, the, the injury that's come after that probably, you'd imagine, is going to end his riding career. But it's interesting, this crystallization, potentially, of him going down a training path at some stage as well. And he is a really shrewd horseman. He knows so much about the game. I think he'd make a really good fist of it. And again, training partnerships these days, you can have that sort of yin and yang scenario as well where 
um, he's got some real strength. He's got some areas where he's probably going to need someone else to cover off for him too. And it's a great mm. thing for him to look forward to in the next phase. A lot of jockeys have this issue, especially coming off serious injuries. And Maddie, you're really good mates with Cindy Alderson. So what she's been able to do to help Michael Walker along the way has been absolutely tremendous. Yeah, no, she's amazing in that respect. Behind the scenes in, in a lot of ways, Cindy. Uh, and he is he's the best sort of... A blowing commentator, expert comment man, a, a, a person I think I've seen for a long time in racing and sport. He he's so articulate, Michael Walker. He he gets to the, you know, when you're sitting there as an in the uh, on the couch on the couch, thinking, oh, I hope he asks that. And every time you know he goes down the road that you hope he's going to go down with his observation or whatever whatever it happens to be with Michael Walker. And I, just with Jigsaw. I, I think there'd need to be a long. T- I think the ranks would need to be thin for him to be a Group One horse. I think if it was a, a really strong era of, you know, Nature Strip, and then you get your Marabis and all this. If I think if the ranks are thinning out, then Nature, then uh, then Jigsaw can probably pounce and maybe win a Group One, maybe win an Oakley Plate. But he deserves his shot now at least. Yeah. You can say that you're not going to pick up your form guide or see acceptances and go, yeah. "What's Jigsaw doing?" Yeah, it's like yeah. he deserves an opportunity now yeah. to go. That's the final frontier. Well, now he's fit, he rails, he's in form, he's classy. It's up to the other 17 in the Oakley Plate to get past that level now, isn't it? So well, he I, might have the wood on 14 of them. And a lot of and, it's and timing sense. as well that yeah, you're yeah. up and going yeah. when others yep. perhaps they're either not race fit or they're yep. not in the right form. Yep. This horse is flying at yep. the moment. Why he not? Yep. I mean, we've seen two really good emerging sprinters in the last two weeks, haven't we? Or well, last two major meetings with Star Patrol. At Sandown, and then, of course, we saw Jigsaw on Saturday. It's unlucky for Jigsaw, I feel, that the Oakley Plate this year is at Sandown. That, for me, is maybe why Cindy Olsen's mm. saying, you know what, maybe the William Reed's where we're going to focus our attention rather than just that little strong hill, that long straight for those that might want to run over the top at Sandown and Oakley Plate. Star Patrol's the other one who's super... Like, he he, he exploded when he, he just literally nearly fell off. He was uh, going so fast. Uh, and there was money for a couple others, and the... Um, yeah, I, I don't necessarily have Jigsaw ahead of Star Patrol with, with with the next six weeks in mind. I think Star Patrol could could be the maybe he's even got a little bit more X about him than than Jigsaw. I think you know. I mean, the timing of the programming, maybe the style of the race is now lightning at weight for age. Then you have got the two handicaps quickly in the Oakley Plate, the New Market. It's perhaps not structured anymore that you can get a couple of horses that flow through all three. But I feel like we're going to get a good flow on from. The Oakley Plate, which I've been excited about for months, just simply because it's going to yeah. look a little bit different. Mm, and what yep. does Sandown do yep. to the composition of that race? And then I think there'll be a pretty good flow on of horses out of that into the new market. It might be a good old style traditional new market where you get a private eye at the top of the weights trying to do a, a hay list effectively yep. and carry the top yep. weight. And then a bunch of other horses, some good three-year-olds and the like down in the bottom of the weights. And those handicaps are so unique and sometimes they lose a little bit of their essence when they don't have that good spread in the weights and a bit of variety. It feels like this year we might get that. I'd love to see Private Eye, given there's a lack of depth. I, I know, and maybe it's a bit to do with the turnaround between spring and all. He ran on Champions Day at a mile. You know, I'd love to see Private Eye fresh in a, in a lightning and then go to the new market because his straight wins were just amazing. He could, he could... He could adapt to a lightning if he was fresh enough and had a big enough you know, break leading in and he was fresh enough. Well, I think no they're all going to be chasing in secret, but... The X Factor is I wish I win first up in a new market. That's oh. mouth-watering. That's wow. going to be great to see. Mm. So, and, you know, the trainer that can do it is Peter Moody. What about the Beaten Brigade? Chirath, I thought, was 
brilliant. I thought he was outstanding. Snapper, uh, I don't know. Might Snapper's be one of those. Snapper's been that, up for a little while too, though. Yeah, so I that might, might have Snapper. been an end of prep style run. Uh, Tarath was very good. Matty Raymond, I think, again was pretty clear in the lead. In the horse was reasonably forward. It had that. Uh, track gallop at Hamilton in the lead-in rather than perhaps going to trials or jump-outs, and they seem to have the futurity in mind as the target for her. As Again, trying to find that right group one, maybe to have a dip at, and that sounds like that's the plan with her. You get a lot of mares who have an off um, season and then an on season, like spring and autumn, and I wonder whether Chirath, she looked amazing, she was forward. Uh, I, the only little knock on this race, without being anti this race, is Snapper's a... Not, he's not an elite sprinter. Um, my mate Calypso Rain, you know, I like to back him at more. You know, like he, I just don't know whether we're, we're going to have to see this form tested. Well, like Chirath, good to see her back, but the last we saw of her, she wasn't. You know, she went at Geelong, and so I'm not sold on what Jigsaw beat. To be honest, you're asking questions about Nature Strip and Zaki, whether they'll come back to the top level and win a race. I don't know if we'll ever see Western Empire and Superstorm back to the top level. What were their excuses? They were terrible. And I know Superstorm, it's 1,200 metres, but he got beaten nearly 18 lengths. Yeah, and we hadn't seen him since the McKinnon of 2021. So he's back from a fairly long hiatus. Western Empire, again, just looks like a horse in need of way more ground, was on the treadmill, and the treadmill button was getting pushed far too high for him. There's a skerrick with Western Empire. He missed the start and then ranged up. His run was sort of half forgivable, but... What, it's not what, the Western Empire we remember. Nah, well, what are they going to win? They're, that's they're, that's they're, the question. They're out of the equation. Yeah. They're out of all equations. Hey, guys, Uncommon, uh, Uncommon James will smoke Jigsaw and Star Patrol in the Oakley Plate. That's from Ben. They came down last week, and he's the forgotten horse because he was, at the start of the Spring Carnival, the one that everyone was talking about in a Rupert Clark before, unfortunately, he had the, the setback. Yeah, his Caulfield win, I think, in the Regal Roller from memory was, was excellent. And the O'Day Hoisted team, they sent... Three down last week, and Chris Calthorpe had a successful week on a couple of fronts, I suppose. Trained a winner at the Valley on Saturday yeah. and then had, uh, I think, a couple of plane loads of horses going here, there, and everywhere yeah. on the weekend too, well, last week. Chris Calthorpe had two or three winners in the space of five days. He's had a really good week, Chris Calthorpe. Yeah, good to see him yeah. have that win at the Valley on, on Saturday as well. He's he's now almost in the situation of having to juggle the flights and his training because what started out as a hobby now is more than a full-time job. He's got 20-odd when mm. we spoke to him on Friday and they're all flying, literally, yeah. uh, at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, Michael, can you please get the archaic rule changed for substitutes in a quaddy? I took the bopper, one out Sunshine Coast, was given the substitute, a horse I didn't rate winning, should be money back, especially one up the holders or shooter. Uh, this has been going on for 30 years. Uh, I don't know how to change it, and I don't know if they will. Maybe the opportunity to change it will be in a couple of years when we have the new um, uh, wagering partner that comes in. Maybe that can be written into it. Part of the deal. Yeah, I don't... I, I think it's because, is there a better model? Everyone hates the, the you know, the substitutes, but is the, what's the... Every time people debate it, they never... No one comes up with a model that's actually more satisfying than having a sub so i don't know well so what if we get rid of the sub what do you what do you do you just lose your you, you, you get a refund for the how many which will trim right up the quaddy dividends i think a lot of people who've got a bit of a weird gambling spirit like most punters don't mind the it's like when they used to have brackets you know when you oh damn i haven't got oh hey it's bracketed with the favorite you know so i think some people don't mind the randomness of the substitute because it's part of the the risk in the game you know 
Yeah, I'd, uh, if if you cop the substitute, you're not uh, usually that happy. I think big big punters don't like putting them. But the the bloke who spent or the person who spends fifty bucks on a quaddy and gets a substitute up, I just don't think they're that that upset about it. Hey, Nigel, out of Jigsaw, who was the the horse you want to follow out of the valley on Saturday? There was a couple in the last as they went across the line. I was sort of gathering myself as Ramble a Rebel sort of rinse repeated what it did at the valley prior to Christmas and, and sat on speed and kicked for Ethan Brown and Michelle Payne. I thought, there's a bit out of this race. There seemed like there was a lot unfolding in the background. Watching the replay back, two horses. Monarch of Egypt for Lindsay Park. Looks like he's steaming towards a win. I'd love to see him get to a bigger track. He'll clearly get that opportunity. Flemington will stand down the next few weeks. And there was a really subtle one in that race. Archie Alexander kicked off high approach as a three-year-old against the older horses at 1,500 metres. He, of course won the 1,800-metre listed race during Melbourne Cup Week. He was excelent, had nowhere to go for about three or 400 metres. I'd love to see him head towards a race like maybe an Autumn Classic on Blue Diamond and Oakley Plate Day in about four weeks. And I'd imagine Archie Alexander and his team would have interstate derbies in mind for that horse in time, perhaps. I had a barbecue with Bedgie yesterday, and he was ruining uh, not just Exeter, uh, but the amount of seconds and thirds he's been running lately. And... Bedgie doesn't cop defeat too well, Gavin Bedgood, so he's uh, having a bit of a frustrating run, but Exeter was well back. I don't think there's a lot to take out of this meeting. The only thing I will say is the Valley's split personalities had it more run-on than railing, and that accentuated Jigsaw's effort a little bit because it was that's why the money came from getting leaders towards the end of the day. Well, it was a tricky day yeah. with the wind, and uh, Hutch and Ben Ascari certainly alluded to this during the broadcast that as you go the guys that really drilled out into raiding races across the course of the day, the wind shifted. So you had a, a decent northerly at the start of the day, not a blasting northerly, but it still had an impact. And then it was pretty benign for a couple of races right in the middle. And by the end of the day, you had a genuine southerly. So that's got to have some sort of mm. impact. Yeah. Yeah. So the money came for Chirath and Calypso rain on the basis that they thought there was, there was a bit of a run on at that stage, but maybe that gave a half length to Jigsaw, the, the fact that he overcame that a bit. Nice to see uh, Danny St. Darcy win um, with the Danny Frawley connection as well. And it was pretty emotional post-race, as you'd expect. Yeah, Nita and uh, I think a couple of her daughters were on course as well. It's always pretty special when one of the horses named in the honour of the late, great Danny Frawley is able to salute. And uh, Archie Alexander's, again, got Danny St. Darcy going well at the moment, coming off that warnable victory winning Saturday, and they're hopeful of trying to find a, a stakes race of some sort for her very soon. Just on the jockeys, um, the, you know, the story of the jockeys on the weekend, um, Blake Shin, just yeah. a superstar. Ethan Brown, again, just keeps notching them up. Celine, speaking of Danny Seek Darcy, um, Celine Gaudry's ride was just so was mature, wasn't it? And she is, you know, like, you know, I'm on... Alana Kelly and these girls who I really, really, really rate, these ones coming through. I think Celine Gaudry's certainly, certainly in that conversation. We've got a good compliment. Michael Huglin had Kentucky Casanova. He's a huge rap for Laura Lafferty and was really yep. pleased with yep. the ride she executed for victory in that race. Just on Blake Shin, so he's seven wins and eight placings from his last 42 since coming back from the suspension, which I think he's done a really good job. Oh, yeah, he's experienced and he knows the game, but that would have. It would have been a little bit to get through, I reckon. So he's done well to get back, but it's particularly... So since Wednesday at Packenham to Saturday at the Valley, 15 rides for five wins and three placings. He's such a thoughtful 
guy too. Like we spoke to him on Saturday morning about the the suspension and the over whipping and the culture change from Hong Kong, and he sort of takes a bit of a breath and then he really thinks about it. And he he said it's been really hard. He said I have to reinvent myself. I really have to focus hard, and it's hard to go out there thinking about. It. He says, but I do think about it. So he's such a Deep thinker, don't you think, Blake Shin? So, yeah, he's fascinating. He'll stay, because there was talk about him maybe possibly moving to Sydney. Is is he confirmed or consolidated in Melbourne, do you think? Well, he's kind of still here, so I would imagine... I'd hope so. The way he's going, you go through the top 10 riders in the state at the moment, there's only two that are going in town better than 15% strike rate. Yep. Mm. One of them's Carr, one of them's Shin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... And Jamie Carr, if she stays, um, she needs rivals. She needs she needs a fierce competitor like Blake Shin and John McNeil's back. And I, I, I backed Ethan Brown to win the premiership a year too early. I reckon. I reckon he could he could win it next year with the the platform. A bit of a John McNeil type story, you know. A bit Sweet. like the Brownlow voting, where you need the umps to catch on and then they get him the following year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hey, speaking of Ethan Brown, it was disappointing we had a four horse race at the Valley on Saturday with the three scratchings and. Again, a four-horse field, and it just got blown out of the water. The two that were expected to fight out the finish were the two that were they were pretty average, to be honest. I think Bistro had an, did Bistro have an issue? I think it's Bistro, may, lame or heat stress, yeah. one of the one of the two, or maybe both. Yeah. Uh, smart ride, Ethan Brown. You know, they were pretty clear on what they were going to do with fishing and what needs to work for the horse. They spoke about the the tinkering of the gear, but also not getting to the front too early, where he'd been nabbed a couple of times at the valley by Rich Fortune in Port Albert and. Instead of being nabbed, he was the one doing the nabbing. I, I never take much notice of win, but I reckon that was early track pattern. I actually, one of my few winning bets, I had I had the two roughies to run one two in that Did race, you? and I think the, I think it was track condition at that stage of the day with the northerly. I think the the two that got the buffer overcame the two that didn't. Bistro lame near four and slow recovery. Also in the stewards' report from Saturday, confrontational slow recovery. Yeah. Michael, what can you divulge Just like there? Just like uh, no, I had a bit of uh, heat stress. So it was hot, and it was interesting. I mean, you were out there. I wasn't trackside, but was it? could you really feel the heat? Because they made a decision not to bring in the heat rule on Saturday. There were a few that did suffer from a, a, a horse perspective. The cloud cover probably saved it. If we yep. hadn't have had that cloud cover, which I don't think they had at Flemington for Manifold, a standish day a couple of weeks ago, it would have been borderline. Yeah. I wasn't there either. It was a bit sultry, they say. Yep. Sultry. Yeah. Well, enough to get through. Uh, a term that's been used to describe you quite a well, bit. Well, it's a better word than the one I made up half an hour ago. Hey, do you mobile phones are a strange thing? Social media is quite strange, and at the moment, they, there's been a lot of discussion about phones listening to you. You talk something, and then that comes up on your feed, um, Instagram and social media. Is that true, Maddie? Is that what's been happening? My phone's been invaded by unwanted, um, unwanted social media streams, which. Really? Uh, uh, one of them, nothing, one of them, nothing to do historically no, with no, no. searches. One of, one of them is um, in, is is videos of people fighting, like random fights and stuff, like in Alabama and places like that, in petrol stations when a fight all erupted. And there's been one or two other invaders as well. Yes, we won't discuss those ones. So we'll take a break on the other side. We're going to focus on Sydney, the two-year-old scene. What did we take out of Saturday? On RSN's Racing Pulse, this is the verdict. Golden Miles are half length away, a length now. Maria Mia's going strongly. Maria Mia kicking away, and here we go again. The New Haven Mayor's way too good. Maria Mia goes on to win the expressway stakes from Golden Mile. It was a pretty and dominant Nicolina... win in the end. Maria Mia in the expressway, and she ran scintillating time. I heard Joe O'Neill talking 
with uh, Warren yesterday on uh, the Sunday Review program and just the fact that they were able to purchase Maria Mia, who we've seen here in Melbourne before, probably not running up to that level, and now make it two from two. He's got a great record of doing that, Joe, hasn't he, with horses from outside stables coming to his stables and going bang. He's a freak at that. Like, um, Eduardo, who we were talking about earlier, like... uh who was sort of just going through the motions here, wasn't he? Rolling his arm over and then became a arch rival of Nature Strip and a multiple Group One winner. He, I, I remember doing a feature on him not that long ago where I said, "Oh, you've, you're a bit of a signature trainer of sprinters." He says, "I know how to train a stayer, and I've got these these examples." But he said, "I just seem to gravitate gravita- owners who uh, have sprinters gravitate to me." And while he keeps doing things like he's doing. Um, uh, with Maria Mia, then uh, I, I'd love to know the absolute secret because he was a um, a student of the John Size. He credited John Size really heavily Correct. in that chat with Warren. Yeah, yeah. well, what I, it's one thing to talk to them about, oh, have you turned this horse around and they talk in sort of generalities, but I'd love to spend a month with Joe Pride with a new sprinter just to work out why or how. What is it about... Because Size does no work with him. He swims them a lot and walks them around forever, but he doesn't gallop them, so maybe there's a... Maybe there's something there, but if it's why don't others do it? Well, the swimming conversation came up, I think, as Warren was delving into a bit of that. And I love Joe Pride saying, oh, as we know, horses aren't natural swimmers. <laughs> uh, there's some that like it more than others. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Hey, what do you make of Golden Mile? Uh, I, I'm not jumping off Golden Mile. I thought he was a really good run. Missed the start. He apparently looked as big as a house. I've had question marks on the Caulfield Guineas form pretty much from the moment the race was finished. Blanket finished, uh, half cabin, I think, if he had got to oh, the yeah. race in, in reasonable health and fine fettle. Again, Don't beauty of hindsight, would have won and would have won perhaps by a bit of a margin. So Gold Mile's probably not in the top two three-year-olds in the Godolphin camp when you think about it, and that says perhaps a bit about how good In Secret and half cabin are. But uh, but who's he going to... Because yeah, the, the, the Godolphin team are going to play it very smart. Aft Cabin's going to stay in Sydney. Randwick Guineas, probably Doncaster. Golden Mile come down for an Australian Guineas. So he's going to be meeting the similar... Similar group. So then That's the right. question is, does, do you get the the three-year-old that comes on the scene, a la the attritions from sort of yesterday or something else that maybe didn't get to the Caulfield Guineas that can, can have a crack? Yeah, he's... He's just a he's a nice three year old. That's all. Yeah, that's, I don't think he's yeah. a star, that's but a, he's a horse well that can put himself into a race. And he's, I still think he's the one to beat in Australia. But it's, it's funny, isn't it, with the, the the races these days, and and you know going to stud and what they they hang their hat on. Like we just we know he's just a nice horse, Golden Mile. But if he wins the Australian Guineas off the back of the Caulfield Guineas, he'll send his first season at forty five thousand or fifty thousand or something ridiculous like that. So. It's amazing how the someone was tweeting the other day about how the yearling sale catalogues are so draconian these days because they don't tell you anything more than what's black type and what's not. They don't tell you the story and the, the depth and so on. And I'm not potting Golden Mile, but if he wins the Australian Guineas um, on top of the Caulfield Guineas, he's going to be a very flash... Um, He's going to track two hundred mares. He's going to—they'll be roaring through the Magic Million sales two years later, and they'll be paying six hundred grand for them. So, it's amazing how that cycle will begin if he can win another Group One three-year-old race. Well, it's the jigsaw conversation with trying to find a Group One Maria Mia. They're talking about going to a Galaxy to try and get one for her. The timing's everything, and I guess if you 
running in your age group in a particular year, if you get yep. the year where it's maybe not deep, then it's going to sound pretty good saying, well, you're a yeah. Caulfield and Australian Guinea Oh, winner. massive, massive. How, how much would Forbidden Love make at the sales? She's been retired now. Um, What's her breeding? Oh, I have to have a question. She's by Z out Look. of a... Uh... <laughs> Seven figures based on what she's done. And Forbidden Love. Fantastic career. Is all too hard, uh, Juliet's princess. So, um, lots. That's going to be that's going to be pretty what, pricey. What, what are they paying for him? She'd be about two and a half, two million, yep. two million in that vicinity. She's not worth any more. I wouldn't. I don't know, but I, I, she's not. She's not um, a super pedigree and a five-time oh, Group One winner. Juliet's princess, pretty. I think that's that's right. Pretty deep yeah. pedigree. Is it okay? Yep. Um, we're going to have a chat to Annabelle Nisham in a moment. She's just watched Laws of Industry trial, and we'll talk to her about her two-year-olds as well. You mentioned uh, attrition yesterday. Is this the next? horse out of what we think is the 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 new kids on the block that could be a genuine contender well his Sandown win which yeah. I worked out was damn fine and Mitch Friedman was very succinct when the question of what's the pathway look like and talking of Australian guineas I think he just wanted literally to get run to run that's often an indication well we know what we're sitting on here but we don't want to paint ourselves into a corner or make any big bold predictions we just want to let him go through but Again, talking about Australian guineas, in some years you perhaps don't get the flow on of, of good horses from the spring or you get something else come in. Is he maybe the delving back a little bit, but the light fantastic type who yeah, yeah. isn't there in the spring, comes in across the sort of summer months and then goes bang. Or a stratum star type sort of one that sort of comes along. And he, I backed the runner up in that race at Ollie Road yesterday and uh, attrition was a bit less impressive than he was at Sandown, but I think the little bit of cut out of the track. He, Mitch Friedman wants a uh, tarmac, which he might get, you know, Flemington in March type thing. But, geez, he's going to have to take a few very significant yeah. steps Look, forward. He, I think he was still pretty impressive yesterday. And it'll be, does he go to a C.S. Hayes or something like that in the lead-in? And that's where we might get a little bit of a guide to see how he levels up. Um, the two-year-olds. I, I love this time of year with the two-year-olds. And in Sydney, that's where we were all looking with the Canterbury and the Witten. King's Gambit inch by inch is getting closer. It's Red Resistance in front of King's Gambit is running out of time. Red Resistance in front holding King's Gambit and Red Resistance led all the way. Beat the favourite King's Gambit. It's learning to fly just in front. Steel City looms on the outside and Cigar Fleck through them across the track. Learning to fly coming back on Steel City. Learning to fly. Heads off Steel City. Learning to fly too strong in the Witten States. Beat Steel City third between Mumbai I think they had two pretty deep two-year-old races that'll go a long way in Golden Slippers, Blue Diamonds, if we see them down here. And Rhett Resistance has just kind of flown under the radar. Two times knocking off uh, the favourite. It's a bomb-proof horse. And Brett Preble, Matty, is the reinventor. Uh, up to Sydney after being overlooked in Melbourne, and now he's a chance to win a Golden Slipper. This is what he said about Red Resistance after the win. Patience is a virtue, and... Uh... He's got a little way to go, but he's going the right direction, and he's really, um, he's really natural. He's big, he's strong. Gives me a feel. I galled him last week, and I just didn't think he could get beat today. So he's taken a natural progression from his first run to the second run, and just if he, he takes another step again, well, he's going to be very difficult to beat. Uh, yeah, he's he's going to put a, as much mayo on as he can because he's a new kid in town, and he's going to be wanting to keep these rides. But obviously, it was an impressive win and knocked off the hot favourite. So. Yeah, how does that compare to the win uh, which we got to see from Annabelle Nation's smart rare um, uh, learning to fly? Who 
I believe there could be a chance Annabelle Nisha might have a Ferrari in her driveway if it can win a, a Group 1 Golden Slipper because the first Group 1 winner by Justify wins a Ferrari. Now, Justify is owned by Coolmore, so surely they'd give it to the trainer, wouldn't they? Annabelle Nisham joins us. How are you, Annabelle? Yeah, well, how are you? Another bloody Ferrari. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wouldn't mind one. Have you had the conversation? Uh, well, I have. Yeah, I have. Uh, Tom Magnus said, you'd look good in a Ferrari. I said, yeah, well, we'd better change the terms to the trainer then, hadn't we? <laughs> but uh, look, Kiora um, are in the ownership as well. They, they actually signed for her, so it may well be um, uh, Kiora that get the Ferrari. But um, either way, if I can win nice races with, with her, I, I'm not too fussed about a car. Annabelle, a busy morning for you, so we'll try and whip through things. Uh, learning to fly is victory on the weekend in the Widden. Tell us about her. We know about her big pedigree, but also try and give us a bit of a comparison at home where she sits in the two-year-old rankings, gets a group three under the belt. Where would you benchmark her against, I guess, one of the better two-year-olds we've seen from you so far in Empress of Wonder? Um, well, we've, I mean, Empress of Wonder is obviously, you know, a lovely filly. Um, learning to fly is probably just a different style of, of um, horse. She's a bit bigger and, and probably a bit scopier. Uh, but she'd been working really well at home and then backed that up in her trials. Um, so, yeah, she was obviously, they hadn't missed her in the market, but until you see them do it, you never quite know. But I just love the way, we from that map, we didn't necessarily expect to be outside the leader, but um, maybe Steel City missing the kick slightly gave us that spot there. Um, but to, the, the, the leader dropped off and she was left in front for a bit and... Um, you know, even in her trials, when she'd hit the front, she'd pricked her ears. And Chad said she just felt like she was waiting a bit. And once the other horses got to her, she she sort of gave another kick again. And I think, you know, for a first starter to do that, um, I think shows a lot of promise. Hey, um, you you are pressed for time, and there is a bit to, to roll through. But just just on the two year olds, I mean, you're you're a big player at the sales these days. Is it, is this it for you? The two, the the windows narrowing towards the the slipper. Uh, have you got anything else up your sleeve? Oh, they're the two. They're the two obvious ones. Um, we've got a lovely bunch of two-year-olds, but a lot of them are just slightly later types. Um, and you know, unless they're really holding their hand up and very natural and doing it now, um, certainly you can't force the issue with two-year-olds. Um, so they're probably my two obvious ones at, at the moment. Um, we did have a really nice winner on Friday. It was only at Scone, but the way in which she won was quite impressive. That's a filly called Dorothy Gale. Um, so she'll head to the English Millennium as well. And yeah, she's quite smart too. Hey, just laws of indices. Well, it was interesting. We saw the Golden 60 in California Spangle and Co. Uh, just yesterday. And, of course, laws of indices uh, ran so well against those horses not that long ago. Uh, he, he's trialled. And Zaki looked really fresh and bouncy and ready for another lovely campaign as well this morning. Yeah, Zaki trialled quite sharp. Um, obviously, it was a pretty star-studded um, trial um, and a bit of a mixture of sort of sprinters and and middle distance and stairs, but I thought he, his action looked really good. Um, he always does trial well, but um, yeah, Brett hadn't sat on him before, um, and yeah, he said he felt he felt great. So um, looking forward to this preparation with him. We still haven't sort of fully decided what that campaign may be, um, but yeah, he'll have another trial and then he'll be ready to go. I was going to say, is it the All Star Mile Defence Australian Cup pathway for for he and and Mawunga? Yeah, possibly that's that's very much on the radar. Um, at this stage, probably looking to kick Zaki off in the Canterbury Stakes, um, which was the plan last year before it was very wet and we diverted to the Blamey Stakes. Um, 
but he goes very well fresh and obviously the Canterbury Stakes is a group one so we were, we were keen to try him over that sort of trip fresh and then um, that would then be a couple of weeks into the into the All-Star Mile. And my Oberon, will he come to Melbourne or stay in Sydney? Again, haven't decided yet with him. He's still just, he's taken a, a bit of time to adjust, like his coat still, his coat is still a bit confused as to what hemisphere he's in, so not in any sort of rush with him. He's had one very quiet trial. Um, he'll have another trial and then we'll we'll figure out from there where he goes. Annabelle, what impacts the weather in New Zealand had on your team and their presence at Karaka? Oh, well, it meant I wasn't there. Um, my flight got cancelled. Um, but uh, Rob and Todd are both over there and, and I was fortunate enough to go after, straight after Magix. On the Sunday, we flew straight to New Zealand and did two days of inspections on the farm. So I'd seen probably 200 of the catalogue anyway. So, um, you know, and with, you know, Rob and Todd have got a, hopefully got a good idea. Anyway, time will tell because um, we, we bought some yesterday and hopefully we might pick up a few more today. I know they're about to go on the next trial. Just quickly, there was a meeting of all the trainers with Racing Victoria Re Spring Carnival changes and what's been mooted. I'm not sure if you were involved in that meeting, but as a, a person who's played such a big role in the Cox Plate the last few years, what are your thoughts? Uh, I, um, without having thought too much about it, I, 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 my preference would be to keep it where it is. Um, I think you start going deep into November, you're, you're certainly going to have an impact on horses running at this time of year because, as it is, they only really get four weeks out anyway before turning around for this carnival. So I think it'll really um, impact the autumn, um, which I'm not sure if people have really thought about. Um, it's just too short of a turnaround in my mind. Um, but uh, look, I'm sure it'd be interesting to see other people's opinions on that. But if it was if it was my decision, I'd be certainly keeping it where it is. Annabelle, well done on the weekend. Appreciate your time on a busy morning. Thank you very much. Every time she said Rod and Todd, I giggled because they're Ned Flanders as kids <laughs> on The Simpsons. <laughs> Rob and Todd. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Sorry, Rob. Yeah. Sorry. Um, just quickly, because we, we'll take a break and get into the James Cummings discussion off the back of that, but for mine... I thought the way NML Nisham described that win uh, on Saturday, it just looks she, like she floated. And she looks like she's got so much more uh, scope uh, and development to come. Um, I think she is almost, from what I've seen, the now the top seed in my mind. Well, it seems to change every Saturday and there's always that recency bias attached. But I agree, she looked there to be beaten a couple of times and then was able to find something look reasonably strong through the line. She's out of Ennis Hill, who won a Chairman's, yeah. which is our feature race on Saturday at... Sandown to look forward to. And Red Resistance is really, really well bred. A Russian Revolution out of Heavily, who yeah, was a really yeah. good sprinter. They actually ran the Quinella in a McEwen Stakes at the Valley. I was thinking that. Alton Zara, Heavily. Yeah, yeah. She was a really good man. She well, was a bit hot and used to go really hard, didn't she? They had to do a lot to try and actually, that, control that's her That's true. Speed. They did. Um, King's Gambit? Just disappointing. Well, well, he missed the start. Were you giving up on King's Gambit? No, you no. Can't. No. Again, uh, Snowden's known for the, the peaking of grand finals and all those sorts of things. Well, that's always, it's very price sensitive when you're assessing these performances. Where if he was on debut and you didn't have the debutant stakes five length win to go off, you might have gone, well, that's an okay debut. He'll, he'll be better for the day. What, what, what I'm impressed by is the amazing story of Russian Revolution. Every time you see a smart two year old come out, they're by Russian Revolution. Like he just instills this ready jump up and go two year old thing in them. So I don't know how they sold at Magic Millions. I imagine it was pretty solid, but uh, um, 
I'm waiting for the next Russian Revolution to come along next weekend, basically. So, you know my view on two-year-olds, Michael? I've got no idea. So, leave me <laughs> oh, out. The SMSs will come through here now after that comment. <laughs> um, do you think maybe that defeat of King's Gambit could sway them to bring him down for a Blue Diamond? Or will he maybe stay in Sydney to do the traditional path into a slipper? I think there's been a fair bit of discussion. And even James Cummings last week on Australia Day at Sandon, I think was asked about Barber and a few others mm. like that. And they think that there's timing that allows them either to come do prelude diamond slipper or even just maybe the prelude and then back to Sydney for slippers. So I think it's all on the table. Well, if you want to get a really good push from a trainer um, rather than me speculating on these two-year-olds, James Cummings described Barber when he said he's coming down to Melbourne as a bit of a weapon. So if you like to have be inspired to back a horse in an even year where you haven't worked it out and the leading trainer who's got all the best two-year-olds probably describes one of them as a weapon, then you probably might want to follow it through. Let's just... I can't find a market here. It's about gonna, $9, I think, Barbara. Yeah. All right. Have you had a little something? Well, it's a weapon. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just like you, Matty. We'll take a break on the other side of this. Speaking of the maestro, we'll hear what he had to say to you about the spring carnival changes. We also want to talk about Cranbourne. So disappointing. What happened on Friday night? And there's a few other issues, including the 82-year-old who saluted at Melton. Placing their opinion on the line, it's The Verdict. Welcome back to The Verdict. The SMSs are rolling through. Uh, Jeff Erie, the Mooney Valley on Saturday. Alvadun deserves another chance. Maybe a bull horse with a let-up. He likes give. I thought his run was pretty good on the weekend too. Hi, Michael. Sending a thank you to the stable rep from the Will Clarken stable, who on Saturday gave a push for Galinga Spirit in South Australia. He's one for one. Um... I totally forgot about that. He did give a good push, uh, push, which won very nicely. Is King's Gambit coming to Melbourne for the Diamond? No decision has been made as yet. Um, hey, guys, is Melton Trots on Racing.com this Friday and Saturday night? That's from Big Dog. Nigel, have you got any idea about that? I'll I check the TV advertising. guide. There's a lot, heavy advertising campaign for the Summer of Glory on .com. The AG Hunter Cup is on, which is... Is that this Saturday night? Yep, it'll be on. So I don't know if they're doing... Um, Manny Never, what's the Friday night meeting? It's the Southern Cross, Great Southern Star. So I'm not sure if the Great Southern Star's on, but the AG Hunter Cup is on on Saturday. Uh, Matt, the alternative to the sub is simple. Pay out all bets affected uh, their accrued value to that point. New South Wales did that before Tab took them over. That's from Len N, but then everyone gets a smaller dividend. Morning, gentlemen, thoughts? Um, okay, that's not for us. Bring back the old-fashioned bracketed quaddy. I'd like that. Um, hey everyone, a few days ago now, but we had a great day at Balnaring for the first time in many years. Families enjoying the day, spent a bit of uh, time on the punters, raffles, crowds, huge. Good to see them back at the picnics. And Jazz, who works for Jim Conlon, had a second race ride in front of 5,000 people at Balnaring and got the job done on stirrup. So that was a great job. Uh, according to the .com TV guide, harnesses on Saturday night. Yes, yeah, the Ageing Hunter Cup, So, which is good to see. Great to see that back on .com. Uh, Matty, you, uh, Dan and Simone, had an interesting chat with James Cummings. It was the, the oh, hour the, after. The yeah. hour after with James. So it was just you and Matty. I didn't get to hear it on Saturday, but this is a snippet of what he had to say about the projected changes to the Spring Carnival and a meeting that recently occurred between... Um, Andrew Jones, Matt Welsh and some of the leading trainers. I was in a meeting with eight, uh, seven other trainers on Tuesday um, 
with Andrew Jones and Matt Welsh. And then I had a, 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 I've since spoken to Andrew Jones and Matt Welsh at length, and I feel like um, I feel like whilst there's an opportunity for me and and for our team to put forward any ideas that we think strongly enough uh, that, that, that that extra consideration should be made for all of those things. You know, we're, I'm beginning to feel well and truly, Matt, that it's so far down the road that it's a, it's a it's well and truly a reality. Uh, but to answer your question in short, we'll manage. You know, I think we will manage. Uh, and it may work out very, very well. Andrew Jones makes some compelling arguments as to why it should happen. Um, and uh, and races have been moved before. Um, some have been moved with great success. So I think the grab out of that is we are so far down the road that it will become a reality. If Mooney Valley signs off on it. So Mooney Valley's basically said to Race of Victoria, this is what we want. I don't know what they've... We've heard bits about they want the All-Star Mile permanently or at least for three years. $8 million Cox Plate. Yep, all that sort of stuff in order to change over 100 years of history. So I've banged on about this for long enough. You know my view on it. So all I want... All I think everyone is entitled to now is for Racing Victoria to come out and explain their rationale, explain what the conversations they're having with the trainers. We'll have them with all of us, you know. Open up the, um, you know, you can talk to the trainers. Start with the clubs. They've, they've done that. They've spoken to the the trainers. Uh, I think it's an open discussion now. I think if this has accelerated to the point that James Cummings says, and most of us are very vague on the, the reward versus the risk. I think we know what the potential risks are and they are significant because everything's a guess. Will this work? Will the crowd come with us? Will there be no punter fatigue? Will the autumn work out if we do this? Annabelle Neesham doesn't think so. So if they are so strong on this idea, then they now have to come out and explain it. They have to present a business model. They have to say, this is why we think this is... Uh, you say it's risky, we say it's not. This is our business model. This is how we think we can earn more by transplanting the Cox Plate than it actually earns where it is now. And is that what they gave to the trainers in that meeting? Um, I don't know the detail of what they spoke to the trainers about. I've spoken to a couple of the trainers that were at the meeting. It was all um, about the income that could be earned rather than anything else. So a lot of the trainers stood up and said, hey, no, we don't, we don't think this is a great idea. James Cummings in the meeting said that. So, Nige, I just think... I have a very strong view on it, as do a lot of others. Some feel differently, but it's now up to um, Andrew Jones and Matt Welsh and whoever else at Racing Victoria to lay this business case on the table because the clock's ticking. If if Mooney Valley, if this is to happen, this has to be the wheels have to be set in motion. Is there any square off for the autumn? Does the autumn change, um, etc.? So all, all I want to see now, because I'm sick of talking about it, I want to see the business case. Tell Jackie not to book Noosa until maybe the second or third week of December <laughs> this year, Michael. So the bit that I, I want or I'm interested in, and sometimes with these stories where there's the headline early on that catches the run, I almost want to go underground. I don't care about all the, the bits and machinations behind the scenes as important as they are. I just kind of want the finished product, which is not just the Cox Plate for me. And Michael, we've spoken about this off air. It's the weeks in between champions day and those middle weeks in november that have traditionally on the last couple of years been occupied by cranbourne and ballarat what's going there to maintain momentum into the grand finale of the cox plate then just as importantly where do cranbourne and ballarat perhaps sit in the mix of packenham and does we haven't does, heard of does december become the country cup sort of month perhaps and then the other knock-on effect which we just heard 
Annabelle Nisham allude to is there is a knock-on effect that has to be remembered. This is a really, really important time of year for racing. Fantastic racing. Yes, it may not have the same eyeballs on it because of the footy codes and it's summer, whatever it might be, but it's got such great tradition behind it and it's arguably better racing sometimes than the spring because particularly in Melbourne, the conditions are usually a lot, lot better. So you're 11 weeks from a Cox Plate to an oar under this new structure you're probably not going to see many Cox Plate runners ever get to an oar ever again. They might go to a fraturity because it's 13 weeks in, but then what's the knock-on effect for All-Star Miles and Australian Cups? There is going to be some sort of, not damage, I'm certainly not using that word, but it just as, and I think the good thing is the trainers have said, we'll adapt, we'll make it work some, regardless some of where you're going to put it. One or two trainers have said that. Most trainers aren't saying that. So, yeah. So, um Anyway, so that's they're the risks. Where's the reward? So they have to convince us that the meeting, move, the meeting they're taking out on the 25th of October can be replaced by something that earns more money because otherwise you wouldn't do it because of the disruption that Nigel sort of suggested. If you can't make a business case to say, well, if we run the Cox Plate on the 25th of November, it's going to be so much more valuable than running it on the 25th of October that all those little guesses and the risks we're happy to take... That's the case I want to hear. Or that's the case everyone should want to hear. So I think that's what the crux of it is from a Racing Victoria point of view is what the earning capacity is turnover-wise because... You're going to lose they, a lot of it they, by getting rid of it on they, October they say, they say that after final day at Flemington, turnover drops off a cliff. Yeah. It's $100 million plus, as you would ima- imagine, Flemington, and then you're down to maybe $50 million for Cranbourne and the standalone Country Cup. So... They, their viewpoint, I believe, and, and I've alluded to this, is that if they can elongate those Group 1 Metro Spring meetings and have another three or $400 million plus turnover days, that upside is greater than currently what there is now, and that's reason to reconfigure what the Spring Carnival will be. Matty, you weren't saying that they need to replace it with something that's going to match the current Cox Plate turnover on the 25th of October? No, so if they take out the Cox Plate, which is the the biggest and best race in Australia, it's not hasn't got the the KPIs of the Melbourne Cup. So you take it out of that spot and and dump a Mooney Valley Cup, which is a terrible race. We know that it's a terrible race, worth too much money. And you put which a race? Sorry, there, the Mooney Valley Cup. Yeah, well, it's it's but whatever the composition of the race it is, is. So yeah. you're, you're saying the Cox they, plate they, out, so you're going to have you're a, saying it's only justified if they find a day that's going to match the Cox Plate turnover. No, exceed it. It has to exceed it because otherwise, what's the point of replacing like for like and disrupting history? So you, if you're going to replace it, you have to replace it with something that is wildly successful because you're compromising autumn campaigns. You're you're doing all sorts of things. You're stuffing up the rhythm of those country cups with their demographics that they're working on down at Cranbourne and Ballarat and so on. So in order for this uh, innovation, in inverted commas, to be truly innovative, it has to lead to a greater result where the rewards are greater than the risks. And, and I imagine that comes back then to your point of, and what we were talking about is, it's going to be perhaps a view of what does it make November as a whole as opposed mm. to just simply that day. And I'm a bit like you, Nigel. I'd like to see what all the other machinations are, not just the, the major pillars that we've been hearing are the ones that are going to be moving. What but if the Landy's the leading on races. million dollar race and fills that hole? And we forfeit more and more spring territory that we've had for 200 years to Sydney. What happens then? So, but they're the risks. I want to see the business case with convincing, uh, and not just the stupid one about the cliff falling off the edge of the cliff, because, of course, when any any event ends, when the tennis moves from here to Singapore or something next week, 
Tennis Australia is going to go, oh, but we should have extended it by two weeks because look at the... No one's turning up to Rod Laver Arena anymore. We'll put on a concert then. So it's it's such a... I just don't understand that argument because if, if you flesh out that argument to its nth degree, then you have a never-ending carnival. You just go forever because you think you're going to earn more money. So nodding's good for TV, Michael, but what do you think? Uh, I can understand why they want to earn more money. I am a bit like you, I want to have a more clear, definitive argument as to why that change will produce more money and that it will have a better effect than... Have to earn a lot more money to make it worth Changing more. what will be... The, oh, we'll talk about this after 10 o'clock. So I want to know what happens to the, the Caulfield Stakes, the, the Thousand Guineas moving to um, after an Oaks. What happens? No Cox Plate horses into a Melbourne Cup. We'll talk about this yeah. after 10 o'clock. Welcome back to The Verdict. Matty Stewart and Nigel Carmody and a lot of SMSs as there always are when we delve into this topic of what the projected spring carnival could look like. Uh, it's so childish to think that the turnover will be greater late November than late October after punters have spent their money on Caulfield and Flemington. Christmas is coming. Money's tied up for presents. Would um, Greg Carpenter agree uh, with these new projected changes? Um, love to know what Greg... Greg Carpenter keeps his cards close to his chest. I'd love to know what his view on, on this would be because he had 20 years to do it and never did. Seriously, how many Cox Plate runners now go to a Melbourne Cup? Well... It would be Melbourne Cup runners going to a Cox Plate, which would be close to zero, I'd say. Um, I feel sorry for the Country Cups, constantly getting screwed over. Ballarat has built up since changing, but Bendigo is now lacking a pulse. We need to stop hurting areas that actually make the industry. You've been big on the engagement that the country regions and the Country Cups have on their big days. When would be the... If, if this does occur, when would be the optimum time to then have a Cranbourne Cup a Ballarat Cup and a Pakenham Cup. Just, just on, just on that bit you said before that, engagement is so much more important than enticing people to sit on their phone and gamble. It's like racing has about different entry points, and so engagement is about falling in love with the sport and being being affectionate about the sport. Increasing wagering or, or theorising that you can increase wagering is about. 20-year-olds sitting on their phone and gambling when they should be saving for their mortgages and stuff. It's it's not... That's the most cheap version of, of, of engagement you could possibly have is... Increases in wagering does not represent increasing engagement and popularity, strictly speaking. It it sounds like it does, but it doesn't. So, uh, mate, those country cups are run at exactly the right time now. So, knowledge, if you are to be... What's the case for this change? What's the case for it? Well, it's still to be communicated, I suppose, yeah. like you were but saying if before, you're, if you're going to see the sort of, blanket case. Yeah. If if part of you thinks this is may not be a bad idea, what part of you, What what's the the thread that makes you a little bit interested? Oh, the part of me that you open to it is they're saying that they think that part of the calendar is where they're going to get significantly better engagement by moving it back, perhaps getting better weather, whatever it might be, but... Other Again, less sports to compete against. Yeah, so that, I think that's the Tell theory the where, where cricket are... cricket seems to have almost given up November now, and um, there's, there's it seems to be the quietest month sport wise out of the twelve. But is that a compelling enough reason to move when you put all the other factors on the table? Hmm. But isn't the quietest period when the footy ends and racing takes over? There's nothing else going on in October either, except for the prime time racing. If the, this is what I've 
harping on is they say that there's this vacant space in November and early December. Well, the sport, the space is just as vacant that we're holding now. Yeah, and I also wonder if there's a heightened sensitivity that we just had the most putrid spring of all time weather-wise. Yeah. So yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's the average, true. The average, the, the I other... Googled this. The average temperature in the end of November compared to the end of October it's about a 1.5 degree change generally. So what to do for 1.5 degrees? The other thing which hasn't been spoken or discussed is that you still need to go to the pattern to, to move group ones to different dates if uh, I believe they're more than two weeks apart. So, I mean, that's going to take a process, <laughs> the way the, the Racing Australia and the pattern is at the moment. Well, they have to find the pattern committee first. Mm. They haven't seen each other for four years. So yeah. I don't know. I, I, it, it, as, it was interesting that James Cummings says it feels like it's so far down the road. They, they're obviously, these guys at RV are obviously gung-ho about doing this. Um, but Mooney Valley, it'd be interesting to, to work out the discussions that are happening at Mooney Valley about the pros and cons because they, they are playing, potentially playing political football with a 100-year-old race. Mm. So whether it's, whether it's a gaming chip or not, the, the Cox Plate. Uh, I'm not sure that's the role that it should play, but uh, um, Racing Victoria board, there's there's more than two individuals at Racing Victoria. What are the other executives and the, the people on the board that have been in racing for a long time, what do they think about One it? other point I'll make before we move on is we've had a lot of disruption in the last five years, I feel. Like the Everest, the Golden Eagle, the All-Star Mile popping up as races has already had a disruptive effect. And then you add COVID and just the... Mm. Um, the spike the sport got in a lot of senses, but the momentum lost that the sport carried on, but then people weren't necessarily, particularly in Melbourne, weren't able to get on course and engage with it. That's going to take time and, and money and energy to kind of get those wheels sort of turning again. And I'm always one for, well, do you just sort of let that stuff re-knit back together before you're then making massive, massive calls like this? Yeah, people craving a return to normality rather than a... a, 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 a Hasn't snapped yeah. back. We saw it with, yeah. you know, the dining and hospitality scene and a lot of other bits and pieces that, you know, 2022 was the dust ourselves off and kind of get going again year and we still might be a couple of years away from getting back to what, you know, pre-COVID well, literally was in every sense. And unless... Um, the industry can address the cost of attending a carnival day versus the cost of going to uh, staying at home or going to the picnics or the country. Like people are broke, people are literally broke at the end of Cup Week because of the cost of going and the all sorts of things. Interest rates are up, so if they have to they have to compromise in some other way. If if they want to say we want you to go back again and spend another three hundred. Um, then something has to give at the other end. Well, I'm, I'm sure this all will be revealed shortly it, it has to be because um we've got the broad brush strokes which have come through with paul tattnell's report and we've had early discussions with andrew jones and maddie welsh about the theory behind why they would look at these changes but uh it's getting down to tin tacks now where they're having the conversations with the industry shareholders which they should do trainers uh and the like uh, they, that's what probably needs to now be exposed as to say have a look at it but this is what we're doing. Just one last one. Do you think that if they're going to do absolutely proper due diligence, they really have to talk to the other major sporting organisations like Cricket Australia? What were the lessons learned of extending the Big Bash? And when they did put that one-day match on with Australia and Pakistan, I think it was, at the, off, at the wrong end of the season and three people turned up? Or the AFL about... It's a bigger discussion than just talking to trainers and race clubs. I think if you're talking about a historically iconic sporting event in a sporting city... 
you got to do a lot more due diligence than just let's talk to the trainers and hope they agree. Well, Andrew Jones is probably the right person then to be in charge of RV right now, given his extensive background in cricket. Yep. He'll be really sensitive to the programming changes, challenges, and admittedly mistakes they've made too. All right. And we'll, so when they lay their business case down, we'll be expecting to hear a lot about those that engagement he's had with Cricket Australia and the AFL then. I'm not sure whether they'd have... Well, engagement with other sports. I, I, well, don't I think know it's whether. important in this case, don't you? Hey, do you think you'll still be sitting there when you're 82 years of age? Yeah, I think you and I both know the answer <laughs> to that question. With the listeners like Matty to still be sitting there at age 82. Uh, Bob Kuchenmeister, an 82-year-old, had a winner at Melton on Saturday night. Just Absolutely incredible. Have a listen to the win. And then Bob reminiscing about the fact that he also drove a winner at the showgrounds. Further back, Icicles running on. Leanne Leanne's in front with 100 metres to go. Icicles starting to get home. It's Leanne Leanne with Icicle cutting it down the outside. I, coming home hard, Icicle. Leanne Leanne clings on for Bob. It's Leanne Leanne, a nose to Icicle. Third home. Ah, uh, look pretty good. Pretty good, I. I kind of thought she'd fight it out. She just gets her nose in front and she says, well, that's me, I'm, I'm staying here. That's her. I'm not the driver, she is. Um, I, I don't know what, I, I think I was 32, or no, 35 I would have been when I, 37 I would have been when I won at the showgrounds. There you go. 37 at the showgrounds. I'd love to have gone to the show. This is, this is a link to the past. Did you ever, I was always fascinated by the showgrounds, like, when you went to the Royal Melbourne show and you try to imagine the harness races being run around the... So any link, and the, the, what a good name, the Meister, the Coochmeister. You're going to have a chat to him with yep. Matty uh, Nevitt on the big V uh, coming yep. up after 11 o'clock and that'll be must-listen radio. That's astonishing. I was trying to think earlier, Nigel, and, you know, people, oh, they sit in a sulky. It's still a physical sport and it is still a sport where Bob is taking on uh, people of all ages at 82. Is there another sport in the world where an 82-year-old can beat all comers? How's the trifecta? Icy, Icy Cool, trained by 84-year-old yes. Jeff Senior and Gaelic lad prepared by the youngster of the trio, 80-year-old Terry yeah. Young. And it was the last race on Saturday night too, which I don't it's think is fair on any no, They peak early in the day. <laughs> Brian Gathard Brian Gath would be... Oh, I don't know because he listens and he's a legend, but oh, Brian Gath would be getting up there too. You know what I thought was significant about the cut through this story? It was on 7 News yeah. last night. When was the last time harness racing in any way, shape or form made it onto a 6, six o'clock bulletin yeah. in Melbourne? Absolutely. And, and yeah. these are the stories that can be exposed and we'll get to see more on racing. Well done to Jason Bonington on that interview as well. It was fantastic. Uh, I, I asked Nick Egan, who does great things with stats, what's the oldest jockey? And he said, look, I can't think of anything definitively, but I know that Danny Miller was still winning races after he turned 70. So, well, Debbie Weymouth's about 70. Yeah. Um, well, sorry, Deb, 68, 69. Razor Douglas, who we're talking to, uh, it tandem with Bob Kutchmeister, he's, he's undisclosed age. He rode his 800th winner. Really? And the, the picnic's on undisclosed. the Undisclosed? You're going to just get it out of him then on the verge? Well, he's been around forever. So, um, <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. Oh, geez. Yeah. Uh, Internationally, I can't really think either. So He's yeah. in good company, Bob Kuchmeister, uh, 1940 birthday. It's Chuck Norris, Al Pacino. This is, that's a tough year. Is, Chuck, is Al Pacino that old? Yeah. Surprised me too. And Chuck Norris as well. Amazing. Uh, Nigel, you've been outstanding. What you bring to the table on uh, the verdict. It's been great having you here, filling in for Sharknado. Uh, 
It's not difficult, really, is it? No. Uh, <laughs> Just keeping the quota of people who grew up in North Dandenong up, up a level. But uh, no, I'm sure the shark will be back Are soon. Are you a North Dandy boy as well? Yes. Wow. It's amazing where, uh, where you boys have come from. And you've uh, certainly a lot less uh, uncouth than what Sharky is. Hey, mate, love your work on racing.com. Thank you for coming in today. And we'll look forward to seeing you throughout the week. Appreciate your time. And Matty, good on your boys. Looking forward to uh, the brand new Big V with yes. you and Matty Nevitt from eleven o'clock today. Yeah, no, looking forward to it. Uh, Bob Kutchmeister, um, Tiger, uh, <laughs> Tiger, Razor, Razor Douglas, and uh, and and much, 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 much more. Hopefully, uh, good on you. That was the verdict. We'll